Welcome to the Vood Church Podcast. What is the value of your life? God's forgiveness has erased the debt we carry, the price of sin that all humanity owes. The sacrifice of Jesus means forgiveness is accessible to us all. Forgiveness for our shortcomings and forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Today, Pastor Richard Wilkerson Jr. kicks off a brand new collection of talks. I hate you, but it's killing me. Unpacking the power of forgiveness to heal from hurt and get past pain. For more resources on forgiveness and healing, visit voodchurch.com forward slash heal. Now let's lean into the message together. Matthew chapter 18. Today we're kicking off a brand new collection. And uh, today my assignment is just to get on base. Just to get on base. Because we've got a few weeks uh, for me to cover a lot of ground. But let's look at this text. This is a parable that Jesus taught on forgiveness. And I want to read this. Matthew chapter 18 verse 23. Therefore... Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off. Someone say he went off. He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless, someone say unless, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Today, uh, my message title is our collection title. And for the next five or six weeks or so, I want to preach to you today from the subject, I hate you, but it's killing me. I hate you, but it's killing me. And today we embark on a journey. And I really believe it's a journey of healing. I think a lot of times, um, church life, if we're not careful, we will only talk about your eternity and forget about your reality. In fact, I meet a lot of people that are saved. They are going to heaven, but they are living bound up on this earth. And here at Vu Church, I want to help you get to heaven, of course, but I also want to help you thrive in your everyday life. Just because you come to church, just because you pray a prayer, doesn't mean that you have healthy relationships, doesn't mean that you know how to balance your checkbook, doesn't mean that you know how to have good friendship, doesn't mean that you know how to lead properly. Anybody thankful that God's word has the answers, God's word has principles for every aspect of our life. So in many ways, I believe this collection over the next six weeks is going to be a collection that is going to help you heal from the hurt of others. 
If you're taking notes today, I love note takers in church because I'm learning more and more that the uh, faintest ink from a pen is stronger than the greatest memory. Sometimes we can come into church and we can get revved up and we can get inspired and then we walk out the door but we don't have anything to take with us other than an experience. And so some of the things I want to share with you today are actually tools for you to thrive and for you to function. Here's what I know. Unaddressed hurt will turn to hate. Unaddressed hurt will turn to hate. This word hate is defined as an intense dislike. Now, I know we're in church and everyone's on their best behavior. Everyone's speaking Christianese. You don't talk that way at work, but here, <laughs> how are you, pastor? Good to see you. Yeah, family's great. God bless. I wish you would do that on Monday, not on Sunday, okay? Sunday's actually the one day that you can take the mask off. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is when you're actually supposed to go and be the church. It's another message for another time. But I wonder, ugh, probably get me in trouble a little bit. Who do you hate? What do you hate? I know that's kind of taboo. Like, I'm not supposed to hate anything. I, I, I know you're not, but I'm not talking about the projected you. I'm talking to the real you. We're just gonna jump right there today. Who do you hate? I know you probably don't say it that way. I hate, you wouldn't say it that way. You're way too mature for that. We don't say we hate things, but hate has a sound. Hate has a thought pattern. Hate has a tone. Hate has a body language. Some of you in this room, you hate your mom, why? Because she berated you. Some of you in this room, you hate your dad, why? Because he abandoned you. Some of you, you hate your husband, why? Because he cheated on you. Some of you, you hate a friend, why? Because they lied to you. Some of you, I meet you all the time. You come to Voo Church and you're saying it's a breath of fresh air because for years and years and years, you hated the church. Why? Because someone at church hurt you. Life is full of hurts, but unaddressed hurts will turn to hate. What we're gonna try to do over the next few weeks is give you the confidence and the courage to address some of the hurt in your life so that that hurt doesn't turn to hate because hate in your heart will only hurt you more. I was thinking this week, I was trying to go back like in my memory, like who was the first person or thing that I can remember hating? And then it hit me pretty quickly. It was um, this bully on my block. Um, her name was Christina. <laughs> and uh, you're laughing, but you didn't know her, okay? Um, and, and yo, like she was trouble, okay? Uh, she would mess with me, she would bully me. There was a couple times she beat me up, not proud to say that. Uh, she also had a cussing problem. In my house, we weren't allowed to cuss. And in fact, my parents were really Christian, so they created new curse words that we weren't allowed to say. Like, for instance, like shut up, that was a cuss word, okay? And I remember I'd come home to tell on Christina, but I had a speech impediment. All of my S's, they sounded like F's. And so I'd try to come to my dad, and I would try to tell on, I'd be like, Dad, Christina fed, fud up. <laughs> fee footin' fay, fud up, Dad, but Christina, fee not a Christian, Dad, fee not a Christian, Dad. <laughs> and my dad, my dad taught me something from a really young age. This is what my dad would make me do. I must have been, I don't know, eight or nine years of age, seven, I don't know how old I was, five. My dad, Every single time I would come and tell on Christina about how she hurt me, my dad would make me pray for Christina. 
he would make me pray for Christina. I wanna say this out loud. Maybe you've heard this before, but maybe you haven't. Taking pain caused by people to God in prayer will always change your perspective. Taking pain caused by people to God in prayer will always change your perspective. It is not a coincidence nor an accident that we are starting this collection in congruence with 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because I have got some messages I want to teach you. And I have no doubt in my mind that if you show up, in fact, I would just encourage you right now. Some of you, I always think the fall, we're kind of beginning the fall season here at Voo Church. I would just encourage you, make it a habit as we step into this season and say, I'm going to be at church for the next six weeks. I'm going to be in the house, going to be there in person. Because I'm telling you what, the preaching of God's word will change you. It will heal you. It will deliver you. It will set you free. But I'm really believing in this season that it's not just preaching that you need. You truly need the presence of God. And it's prayer that takes us into God's presence. And maybe you're not used to praying, but that's why we come together as a community and we do it together. Watch what happens when you put God first in prayer. His presence shows up. And when his presence shows up, your perspective is always changed. Now I would start praying for Christina and what I quickly began to learn is my heart grew softer and softer towards her. In fact, as I got older, I learned a whole lot about Christina that the reason why Christina was so mean to me was because she was going through such a terrible time at home. She was in a broken home full of all sorts of dysfunction, pain. And as a young boy, I got the revelation through prayer that me hating Christina wasn't going to change anything, but rather hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. And if you don't deal with the hate in your heart, you're going to wind up just like the person who hurt you. So write this down. This is, just, this is where we're going for the next few weeks. How you respond to hurt will determine your future. How you respond to hurt will determine your future. Now, we're gonna be on this journey of talking about a word that I am learning in 2023 is a loaded word, and that is the F word. Forgiveness, chill out, okay, chill out, chill out, chill out. Somebody's like, this is getting provocative. No, forgiveness, that's the F word, okay, whoa, okay. Forgiveness. In fact, there's many today, we should just call it in the very beginning, we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks, but there's many today that would say teaching on forgiveness is another form of victim blaming. That once again, you are adding the weight of responsibility. You are adding the process of healing to the victim. Haven't they already been hurt enough? Why do you get up on a stage and add to their hurt by putting the responsibility of their healing on them? And over the next couple weeks, I want to tell you how I just completely disagree with that position. However, I do know that healing hurts. That forgiveness is not an easy thing. It's hard work. And anybody who tells you otherwise is somebody who hasn't actually been hurt in life. I heard it said not too long ago by somebody, uh, the first step to forgiveness is realizing that the other person is an idiot. 
<laughs> That's not true. But in many cases, the hard work of forgiveness. How do I forgive? How do I find the strength to forgive? Even as I say it in the room today, I can sense in the room people getting tight because people begin to hold on. Forgiveness means to release, to let something go. I've got to let it go. If I don't let go of the hurt, I'm never going to receive the healing power of Jesus. I was uh, at the lake this summer, was kind of where Don Shoe and I like to hang out on our summer break. I know it's funny, we live in Miami, we vacation in Alabama. And we were floating on the lake, having a good time with our kids, this little lake that we love going to. And my son Wyatt, who's now five, uh, was playing with his little brother Wild, who's three. And Wyatt is a lot bigger than Wild. Uh, Wild, by the way, has never backed down from a fight his entire life. We were at Disney the other day and we were on that new Star Wars ride. By the way, all the Disney characters need to chill out. I got onto this Star Wars ride and these characters, I'm like, y'all are, how much are they paying you to behave like you're really a part of the empire, you know? This guy walked over to us and he was like talking trash to my five-year-old and my three-year-old. I'm like, okay, we get it, man. You love your job, you know? But they went over to one of our friends, Caroline, who was with us, and he was kind of talking trash to Caroline. And the guy looked at me and he said, is this girl with you? I said, no, sir, she is not. <laughs> My oldest boy, Wyatt, he was like, he's crying already. They're like, they're like, is she with you? And Wyatt's like, she's not, I've never met her, I don't know her. <laughs> he looked at Wilde and says, is this girl with you? He goes, yeah! Well, that's a real Jedi right there, bro. <laughs> We're on the lake. Wyatt is much bigger than Wild. Wild's never backed down from a fight, but Wyatt is bigger. And Wyatt is dunking his little brother. I mean, he's dunking him, you know? Like, and I come over to this scene. I'm like, Wyatt, stop. I'm like, dude. You know, I give him the whole speech. Bro, God has made you big, not to hurt him, but to save him and help him. Come on. It's strength for service. I'm always preaching. I said, boy, you apologize. He said, I'm sorry, Wild. Well, Wild has come up from the water. <laughs> I'm like, Wyatt, say sorry. He's like, I'm sorry. And then I go, Wild, say I forgive you. He's like, oh. I'm like, say it. Say I forgive you. He's like, and I caught myself as I was doing it. I caught myself that this is what sometimes the church does. This is what I as a leader sometimes do. Some of you have been so hurt, you're just trying to get your breath back. And sometimes a message like this can say, just say I forgive you, just say I forgive you, just say it right now. It's like, just let me get my air and then I'll try. I want to say from the very beginning of this collection that that's not the heart or the intent. The heart and the intent as we begin to teach through this is not that you would simply say, I forgive you with your mouth, but rather that you could learn how to forgive from your heart. And I also want to say to many of you in this room, 
that as I begin to teach and preach, that there's some areas of your life that you've gone through traumatic, awful, horrible, horrendous, painful things that I don't wanna come up here and just sound like somebody who's tone deaf, yelling at you, telling you to forgive. I want to encourage you that this is a place that will allow you to get your breath back. That over the next few weeks that maybe you could get your breath back, that you could, you could find the strength. Because what you're gonna learn is hate in your heart is not gonna kill anyone, it's gonna kill you. It's gonna kill you. And if I can reveal that to you, over and over and over again that the way that we heal in God's economy and in God's kingdom is through what I call the forgiveness flow. Everyone say the forgiveness flow. flow. Say it better than that. Say the forgiveness flow. There is a flow to forgiveness. There is this vertical forgiveness, God's forgiveness that touches my life and then it flows out of my life horizontally. That God heals me vertically and now it flows out of me to everyone else around me. It's called the forgiveness flow. And maybe nobody ever taught you that Jesus, yes, he came to get you to heaven, but he also came to fix and mend the way that you're doing life on the earth. And today, I just want to show you one of his parables. In fact, I think this is going to be uh, the groundwork or the foundational text of our collection Um, Tim Keller, who was a hero in my life, many of you know him, he pastored in New York City. Uh, I think he's the C.S. Lewis of our day, one of the greatest Christian authors ever. He passed away this year. And um, man, we lost a general in the faith. Uh, I found it amazing that the last thing that he left on the earth was a book called Forgive. The last thing he wanted to leave, one of the greatest authors, Christian authors ever, was a book on forgiveness. And I think it is a now word for the generation that we're living in that if you're ever going to heal in God's kingdom, it comes from forgiveness. Uh, Let's look at Matthew 18 and uh, let's allow it today to help us. Uh, Jesus, he's teaching on forgiveness and the way that he wants to explain this is by giving a parable. This is what Jesus does time and time again. Look what he says in verse 23. He says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Let's stop right there. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, whenever you see the kingdom of heaven in the Bible, what you can understand about that is that God is talking about his culture. Culture is how people behave. Whenever you see the kingdom of heaven, you can understand that he's talking about another world. He's talking about eternity. Jesus, he's going to return, and when he returns, he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. And many times when Jesus is teaching, he will use nouns, people, places, and things, things that we understand. He'll use natural things to explain supernatural things. He will use relatable things to try to explain the unexplainable. So here he is, he's saying, if you want to know how God thinks and how God operates, it's always different than how we operate and how we think. He says, think about it this way. There is a king. Now, who is the king? It's not you, it's not me. It represents God. And then he says, the king has a servant. Who does the servant represent? It doesn't represent God, it represents us. And he says, there's a king who has a servant and he wants to settle his accounts. Now, all of this is laced in one verse with a lot of theology that matters. Because what Jesus is highlighting is that one day, God, the king, not an elected official, not the president, not the people's champ, he has full authority, full dominion, his way, nobody else's way. 
He's going to call his servants to him, that's you and me, and we will stand before him, and he's going to reconcile or settle accounts. Meaning, whatever debt you owe to God must be paid. Here's the other great thing about what you learn in the Bible, is that there's two judgments. It's not just the judgment of what you did with Jesus. The second judgment has to do with what you did with what God gave you. Meaning, God is going to give awards, rewards away in heaven. Crowns with jewels. And so he says, one day you're going to stand before him and there's going to be a reconciliation. He's going to settle some accounts. So this is the picture that he's given us. Look at what he says right here in verse 24. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that, that he had be sold to repay the debts. This is really good. Jesus is teaching, there's a king, there's servants, he comes to settle the accounts, and this servant owes 10,000 talents. Now to you and I, that language doesn't make any sense. We're like, what, I, talent, is that $10,000? That's a lot of money, but I bet we could figure it out, you know, like call, some, call a friend, you know, like I, I could credit card, hello. Um, but what you learn is, is that when Jesus is teaching, if you get the cultural context, everybody in that audience when Jesus said this would have stood back because this was an absurd number like radical, like, what are you talking about? Um, one talent would have been the regular annual salary of an average worker in that time period. So let's try to scale it for you and I. Um, let's say that the average salary of the average worker in America is $40,000. Using Jesus' multiple, that would mean that the number he is giving is $400 billion. A man owes $400 billion. It's like, okay, uh, Elon Musk can't get you out of this one. $400 billion? That's more than 80% of the country's GDP in the world. This is a lot of money. And Jesus is using it on purpose because he's trying to give them an indication. He's trying to give them a picture. He's trying to explain a supernatural principle that many times we all miss. Uh, so he uses a natural thing. He's like, there's this king. He lent out $400 billion. Just that itself. What? What king would ever loan $400 billion? No king. No king could. No king would. No earthly king. Are you seeing what he's trying? Not an earthly king. But you don't have an earthly king. You have a heavenly king. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know what he gave you? He loaned you this thing called life. He gave you a license to live. What's the value of your life? What's the value of one life? God gave it to you. He, he loaned it to you. Here you go. Here's life. I'm a good king. I gave you life. But what we know about our God is that our God is not just merciful in giving us life. He's also just. Merciful and just. And what you and I did with this life is that we disobeyed God and we created a debt. The debt is called sin. Look what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says. It's just good gospel preaching that we should get in our hearts again. For the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift. Someone say, the gift. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You ever, um, (laughs) you ever like go to Starbucks and you give them your credit card and they go, it's declined? Have you ever had that experience where your credit card is is declined? Like this just happened to me. Anyone like me, like the credit card gets declined and you just start giving way too much information. (laughs) Oh, no way, no, no, it's impossible. Oh my God, no, man, I got plenty of money. I want, trust me, my accounts are solvent, okay? I pay my taxes, all right? Where's my wife? It's like, dude, way too much, you know? My, my credit card got declined the other day at Starbucks, and I'm like giving it, I'm like, no, okay, come on, like, I'm a man of God, you know? Like, it doesn't matter what I say, I don't have enough to pay the bill. Yo, if you think it's embarrassing, having your credit card declined at Starbucks, imagine the horror of standing before an almighty God when he calls you on your debts. What you gonna say? (laughs) Okay, king. (laughs) See the way my checking account is put together and my savings, ah, man. I'm a good guy. I worked hard. Don't you know I went to two steps of the growth track? You know, I served at the back to school backpack bash and I just was there. That's gotta count for something. It doesn't really matter what you say. The wage of sin is death. And when God calls you on the debt, there is nothing that we have to pay the bill. It's 400 billion. Get Bezos, get Elon Musk. They ain't got enough cash to reconcile their soul. They are gonna need a savior. Come on somebody, I'm trying to get this into your heart. This is very, very important that you see this. Very, very important that you see this. He calls him on the debt. You owe me 10,000 talents. Everyone there is like, there's no way you could pay 10,000 talents. And who is this king who even lent 10,000 talents? He can't do it. So what is he ordered to do? He's ordered to be thrown into slavery. Not just him, his wife, his kids. It's amazing how sin can permeate into other areas of our life. Some of you in the room, it's like, oh, I'm just affecting me. No, you're not, man of God. Everything you do is affecting other people. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, the servant, this is verse 26, fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. See, repentance leads to forgiveness, watch this, in the kingdom of God, in God's culture in the way that God thinks, in the way that God operates. When you repent, you are met with forgiveness. The king looks at him, has pity on him, cancels the debt, lets him go. I could teach all in that little verse right there what that looks like. In fact, we'll we'll probably look at it. It's a great picture of what real forgiveness looks like. Can you imagine being this man who owed 400 billion and now the king just so graciously, so mercifully forgives him? What do you think the feeling would have been. He's gotta be happy. 
He's got to be like elated. How do you behave when you're happy? How do you behave when you're grateful? How does somebody behave when they take the focus off of the hurt from others and they put their focus on the help of a savior? I think there's a message right here about what real worship looks like. Don and I were driving back from this road trip. We took our staff away this week, about a hundred of us praying and seeking God for this next season. I believe God's doing amazing things in our church. It was an incredible time, but we were driving home. We just celebrated 17 years of marriage. Don Trudy just celebrated her 39th birthday. Make some noise for the greatest wife in the world. And like, we just go way back, me and her, like way back, 17 year old kids. And so like on the drives, we always start playing like our old favorite worship music. And a lot of this stuff, unless you're part of the subculture, you'll have no idea who I'm talking about. But I'm like, hit DC talk, you know? And some of y'all know, if you don't know, totally okay. You shouldn't know. Um, what would people think if the down of Jesus freak? I'm like, yeah, I saw a man with the back, with the, we went for it, you know? Went over to Out of Eden, you know? Lovely day, lovely day. Lovely day. I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Delirious. I want to go deeper. History maker. I mean, these are my songs, bro. We landed on this record that Don Shree and I, when we were first dating, we used to listen to all the time together. It was this band called Sonic Flood. Tell me you're Christian without telling me you're Christian. Sonic Flood. And, and they have this old song. It's called, um, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. We say, I could sing of your love forever. Over the mountains and the sea, I could sing of your love forever. And it gets to this part of the bridge that I've heard my entire life, but it just hit me the other day. The bridge says, oh, I feel like dancing. It's foolishness, I know. I've sang that for years. But yesterday as I was driving, I was thinking to myself, I feel like dancing. But I don't think it's very foolish. Because how do you respond when you have been liberated from a $400 billion debt? I don't think dancing is foolish. I think dancing is reasonable and logical. I'm not telling you that you have to dance every day because of what Jesus has done in your life. What I am saying to you is that if you've never danced for what Jesus has done in your life, I wonder, do you understand what Jesus has done in your life? I'm not saying you gotta clap every time you come into church. But yo, if you don't ever clap for what Jesus has done in your life, I'm not saying you gotta shout every time you're up in God's house. But if you've never shouted up in God's house for what he's done in your life, I wonder, do you understand what he's done in your life? I don't know about you, but some Sundays I come in, I feel like dancing. I feel like clapping. I feel like shouting. I feel like standing. I feel like jumping because he set me free. When I think about Jesus and what he's done for me, oh, I feel like dancing. And if it looks foolish to you, that's on you. I understand that he set me free. I can't forget that moment. 
I can't get beyond that moment. I can't preach my place to a superior. I was doomed to death. Me and everything around me, I owed the king. But I repented. And I fell on my knees and I was met with mercy. Someone say mercy. Mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. God, I want your mercy. I recognize my debt. I repent. But watch what happens. Scripture says in verse 28, but when the servant went out, see, it's not ever about what we can do right here. It's not about playing church. But when the servant went out, when he went back to work on Monday, when he got on I-95 after the church service, when he got in the minivan with his wife, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is not a small amount. Theologians would tell us it's about a third of your salary. That's, 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 that's something. About a third of his salary. He grabbed him and began to choke him. I hate you. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off. Someone say he went off. And had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This man had just been forgiven by the king. You would think the reasonable response would to go out and be a conduit of love and mercy. Instead, he finds a fellow servant who owed him a debt not small, but incomparable to what he owed the king. When he confronts his fellow servant, the man has the exact same response as he did to the king. He repents and vows to pay him back. However, the servant's response is much different than the king's. The servant demands justice. He has his fellow servant thrown into prison. I truly believe that the human condition is marked by this sentiment. Mercy for me justice for you mercy for me but justice for you I see it in children and I see it in adults I remember during COVID we had to get one of those swab tests in our nose and the nurse walked into our home my son Wyatt when he sees a white lab coat he just freaks out he's like no I felt so bad for this woman she just coming to serve us and he's like you're the devil had to put that swab in Wyatt's nose. He's screaming, no, please, no, no swab, no. We're like, we gotta do it. We swab his nose. He's like, ah. As soon as he gets done, he goes, Wild's turn. (laughs) Mercy for me, justice for you. Mercy for me, justice for you. Mercy for me, justice for you. See, what happens to us on the journey is on the journey, we go to God and we repent and he forgives us. But then we step out and rather than go and forgive other people, we start coming up with ways of why they do not deserve forgiveness and mercy. It's kind of ironic because as you read the story, the irony of the entire story is that all of us are servants trying to be kings. 
mercy for me, justice for you. And when I feel like somebody hurts me, wrongs me, offends me, does something I don't like, rather than give them mercy, I start seeking out justification for why I don't forgive them. And it's robbing us from the inside because watch what happens. It's Jesus' words. Jesus says this. He says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Please write this down today because I'm gonna unpack this more and more. Unforgiveness indicates that we underestimate our sin against God and overestimate other sins against us. Write it down online, take that down. Unforgiveness indicates that we underestimate our sin against God and overestimate other sins against us. Somehow, what I've done against God isn't as bad as what others have done against me. Wow. And Jesus says, when the king hears about this, he calls the servant in and he says, how dare you? How dare you hold unforgiveness in your heart? I forgave 400 billion and you're angry and upset about a third of your salary? No, capture him. In anger, the scripture says, the king calls him in and says, tie him up and have him tortured until he can pay the debt back. Please understand those of you perfectionists in the room, those of you strong-willed people in the room, you can't pay the debt back. My man could live 10 lifetimes and he can't pay the debt back. It's Jesus giving you a clear picture that when you hold unforgiveness in your heart, the end of the parable is that you make a prison for yourself. Yeah, there you go. Hate is a gate. And it starts with trying to keep people out. But as it grows, what we discover is inadvertently, we're not just keeping people out, but we're locking ourselves in. And it's killing us from the inside out. I have prepared my own prison, my own torture chamber because I've got hate in my heart. This is Jesus. He's telling us, he's given us keys to get out. It's funny, um, this word hate. Like, I, I, if you're like me, my kids, they're not allowed to say the word hate. You know, we don't, we don't believe in hate. You know, I say that. Like, don't, we don't say hate in this house, you know. We love. But I was thinking this week, is, like, is that even like biblical? Do we hate anything? That's what the scripture says. Watch this. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. You know what God hates? God hates sin. And the irony of the whole story 
is that we're servants acting like kings. But the irony of the story is that what saved us was a king who became a servant. I hate you, but it's killing me. But Jesus said, I hate sin that I'm willing to go to a cross and be killed that you might have the strength to find the forgiveness flow. I'll go first. I'll go first. From a cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. He said, I'll go first. I'll pave the way. Follow me. I know you're getting your air back. I know you're trying to actually reconcile all that's happened to you. But I just want to let you know life is moving and I have a path forward. There is no future without forgiveness. So how are you going to respond to the hurt in your life? Because the way that you respond determines the future that you step into. And God says, I have a future and a hope. You've got to be healed. I got to show you this last verse. I've been trying to figure out all week how I could close it up. I don't know if I can. Maybe we just got to walk out of here today with it in our heart and processing it as we step into prayer. This is what Jesus says at the end of the text. Verse 35. Comes out of the parable. Now he gives the application to you and I. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. He's saying, if you don't forgive eternally, (laughs) you are a child who hasn't received mercy. Because a child who's received mercy is merciful. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Some of you trying to get revenge is stopping the intervention of God. God says, um, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive. But I don't want to make this some kind of legalistic. I don't want you to read this out of the wrong order because it's very, very important. From a cross, Jesus declared, it is finished, meaning I did all the work. It's already done. God has forgiven you. But when you don't forgive others, it's not like you're tying God's hands up. It's the opposite picture. God's hands are already free but your unforgiveness is an indication that you haven't repented of your sin, that you haven't recognized the weight and the cost of your sin. You do not have the strength to forgive your mom who hurt you, to forgive your dad who abandoned you, to let go of that hurt of that person who cheated on you, to forgive that friend who lied to you. And we'll talk about it in this collection, boundaries and trust. All those things are different things. But some of us, were hanging on to hurt. And because of it, we're not receiving the mercy of God that we desperately need. And what you have to understand is that anytime there's unforgiveness, it's an indication that you haven't repented and received the mercy of God. How do I know it? It's because human forgiveness is dependent upon divine forgiveness. That when I come before God and I receive his love and I receive his mercy, now I have the strength to step out and say, people have hurt me, people have let me down, people have disappointed me, but I'm going to be like my God, the God who forgave my $400 billion debt, the God who's welcomed me into eternity, the God who's put new shoes on my feet, a crown on my head, a robe on my back, a good father who's welcomed me home. Today's just week one. 
And in week one, my prayer is that some of you in this place who are (gasps) gasping for air, that the wind of God, the Ruach, the breath of God, the Pneuma, the Holy Spirit would come and fill you up with new strength, fresh wind, fresh air, fresh breath, that you might begin to have the strength, not just to receive his mercy, to go and let the forgiveness flow from your life. Your hate, it's killing you. It's killing you. Would you bow your heads all over this place? I'm gonna pray for all of our friends at the city, the design district, online. And as we finish praying, I'm just gonna ask the worship teams at both locations, we're just gonna sing this song, Run to the Father. And when you're led, you'll stand up and you'll sing this song. But I just want to pray over you today on the first week of this collection, this journey that we're going on. God, I thank you for our community. I thank you for our church. Lord, I thank you that you're real. I thank you that your word is relevant, that your word is active and alive. Today, God, I pray that you'd minister to people. Lord, people are hanging on to hurt. People are hanging on to pain. People are hanging on to hate. God, give us the capacity, the wherewithal, the strength and the grace to release it, to trust you today, God. Lord, we think about a good heavenly father that when we wandered, Lord, you welcomed us back. God, we get an eternal perspective today in prayer. Lord, that this earth is fading, it's temporary. So God, today, as we bring our hurts to you in prayer, give us your perspective, an eternal one, One, Lord, that we long to stand before you. God, we know we can't pay our debt, but we're grateful for Jesus who laid down his life, who hated sin so much that he said, I'll come and break the barrier. I'll come and break the wall so that you might have life and life more abundantly. Today, Jesus, heal like only you can heal. May the love of the Father wrap people up, deliver, set free, Break the chain of bitterness. Break the chain of unforgiveness. Break the chain of anger. God, I pray for peace in this house. I pray for reconciliation in this house. Holy Spirit, I pray that we'd be a united body, that we would be a church, Lord, that's fit to be filled. Woo! That's fit to be filled by your Spirit. So come now and do what only you can do. Come, Holy Spirit, move. Thank you for listening to today's message. VU, we believe we aren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in your next steps on your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com forward slash online. We love you.